Blog Talk Radio. A council on the future of education. Fire, frustration, and discord are burning in every city. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Rob Furman on the Council on the Future of Education radio show. Uh, we have an interesting guest for you today, Beth Heidemann, and uh, she is a presidential award-winning teacher, and she wants to let you know she's also a master hula hooper, so we'll have to ask a couple questions about that as well. Uh, but she's all about science, and she's the creator of Go-To Science. That's what we're going to be talking about uh, this time today. She's fascinated by engineering challenges, technology, and outdoor learning spaces. Uh, she was 25 years a kindergarten teacher. She's excited to share her passion and experience online with classrooms around the world. Uh, she was a nat- uh, nationally board certified early childhood generalist. She works to educate the whole child, which, as you know, is, is a big thing on my books as well, especially dealing with um, uh, self-esteem and those things we've been talking about as well. Uh, she's, she's an award winner on multiple levels, National Semiconductor Innovative Educator, uh, Skype Master Teacher, PBS Learning Media Innovator, uh, County Teacher of the Year in her area. She, she's the real deal here, folks, and uh, we're going to have an interesting conversation with her. How are you doing, Beth? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Rob. It's, I'm, I've been uh, listening to all your back podcasts now, and I'm like, oh, wow, I get to be in a great collection of people too. Oh yeah, we, we we like to have fun. We like to talk about the future of education and you know what what we all as educators need to do to really bring that along. And it seems like uh, what you're doing here with Go To Science is right up our alley for uh, the need to uh, help these uh, students along in terms of a, a, a look of the future. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, Go To Science and what what got you involved with that. Well. GoToScience is really an outgrowth of my 25 years in the kindergarten room. Um, I was lucky enough to study education um, at College of the Atlantic, a little tiny um, school on the coast of Maine. Uh, And it was there that I really started. I mean, so from the beginning of my career as an educator, I've been um, seeing the benefit of using an interdisciplinary approach um, and project-based approach before those things were named that. That's what I was doing. Um, and so over the years in my kindergarten room, I really looked at um, student passions, what, what lit their fire from Legos to castles to um, world hunger. If they were passionate about it, I used that to craft learning experiences um, that integrated all of their learning and especially used science topics to um, bring all their learning um, to the table. I mean, they really wanted to learn to read and write and have early literacy skills and early math skills if they had a reason for doing so. Um, And then in talking with other teachers, I got a lot of, oh, that's great. I wish I could do that. I'm like, but you can. They're like, no, it's hard. It's like, no, you can totally do this. And um, then as technology changed and grew, I started using Skype in the classroom quite a lot. And again, I had teachers say to me, oh, I wish I could do that. I'm like, but you can. And so um, at last spring, almost a year ago, I said goodbye to my classroom um, after 25 years because I was ready to take this to a bigger audience. I really wanted to let students um, 
outside of my immediate classroom, in my tiny little school, um, experience the kinds of things that I brought to my classroom. And I wanted to empower teachers to bring those things to their students because what I'm doing, what I did in my classroom is accessible. And so we created GoToScience, my partner and I created this to support teachers to do just that, to use the lens of science to help their students learn their ELA and math skills, but more importantly, to learn those 21st century skills that we know are, are really critical and to keep people at the center, even though it's a technology-based um, system, you know, it's happening online, uh, really people are at the forefront. It's not something that a teacher can hand a student and walk away with. It's a, it's a, a tool that entire classrooms um, engage with together. Um, so it has very few tech requirements, um, even though it is a tech-based environment. Um, and so that really led me to create GoToScience. You know, what, how can I help teachers and students have the experiences that I've shared with my students? You know, the, over the years, my students consistently um, showed huge growth. I was in a Title I school. My students um, typically came in at, at the lowest of the low, one of the two lowest schools, and consistently left the highest of the high. And the difference was um, really that they had this opportunity to learn basic skills through something they cared about. That's interesting. You said um, something earlier about having been in kindergarten for 25 uh, years. Uh, first of all, I don't know how you did it because I'm an elementary principal. <laughs> and boy, those kindergartners really tucker you out. <laughs> they're, they're pure oh, energy yeah. for uh, the entire they time. They are. They're here. I, um, I love but it. I, I love I was, it. Yeah, they are fun. I, I was curious because um, I actually talk about this in one of my presentations. Do you get the feeling that 20, 25 years ago um, we were doing it better than maybe we were doing it 10 years ago? Do you feel like a lot of the innovative, quote, unquote, innovative things that we're talking about now what was just good common practice prior to the No Child Left Behind era. Uh, I, I catch myself when I'm talking about the, these things. Yes, we put a technological slant on them, but but still it seemed like we were doing a lot of great things and then all this high-state testing got slammed down our throats. We started becoming very uh, inside-the-box educators because we knew uh, we had one target, and that target was this accountability to these tests. You know, what are your thoughts on that in terms of maybe what you were doing in your classroom 25 years ago versus what you're trying to do now, and, and how similar are those patterns, even though now we have the technology just to enhance it all the further? I'm glad you brought that up. It's actually incredibly similar. And I had, I was so fortunate as a brand new baby teacher to land with an incredible staff. Um, and they were fully interdisciplinary. We had multi-age happening. We had the community involved at a really um, high and meaningful level. And with the advent of No Child Left Behind, there, there was a shift. And there were some other um, local issues that led to that shift as well. And the, you know, the teachers that came in later in my career really clearly had a very different kind of training and, and really seemed fearful of um, 
what you and I might call just excellent common sense education. And, you know, it could say, look, my students took the test. Your students took the test. First of all, I'd like to throw the test out the window, but, you know, measuring this little tiny slice of, I mean, first of all, testing a five-year-old is a whole other ball of wax. I mean, I remember um, asking a student, we had a required math assessment and there were pictures of a lamp, an elephant, a paper clip, and I think it was like a feather or a football. I can't remember what the fourth object was. And the, the question was, which one of these is lighter? And the <laughs> children were circling the lamp. I'm like, why yeah. are you circling the lamp? Clearly, it's the feather. And they're like, well, that no, that's dark. You know, the lamp is lighter. And I'm like, oh. that's right. you know, and if you had just handed that to students, um, you would have thought that they didn't understand that concept when clearly it was just a poorly worded question. <laughs> you know? Right. Isn't that um, the truth? So, but, you know, good education leads to good results. Um, and what I see this sort of skill and drill, narrow focused education to get the results, I, I saw it happen um, firsthand that someone's like, oh, look, my students got this great score. And I said, they got it today, but they're going to forget it tomorrow and they're going to struggle the following year. And they absolutely did. They, you know, that really did them a disservice, um, but they got a good test score that day. So I do think that we've had a bit of a backslide, and technology is really just a catalyst. I mean, it can help you be a really good teacher or a really bad teacher faster. Absolutely. And and you talk about the uh, using technology even a little differently in GoToScience than maybe uh, a more traditional approach. So how do you use the uh, educational technology offerings that are out there with the GoToScience? Well, I built on my own experiences with things like Skype in the classroom. And I was, I did teach in a one-to-one iPad um, classroom, and that happened because of a grant, really. And my school board wanted me to evaluate the effectiveness and benefits and possible pitfalls of going one-to-one in kindergarten. And the, um, the school district had since spread to one-to-one for all students. And what I would increasingly see is that, you walk into a classroom and children were, you know, off to the side with their headsets on working on, uh, you know, a piece of technology that was monitoring their progress as they learned a specific set of skills. So really, you know, at that basic sort of substitution level, it's like, yes, it's made her track, you know, the teacher's tracking easier, the, te- the student is more able to work at that specific skill set at their pace, but it's basically just a glorified worksheet. Um, and what interested me about technology in the classroom, what continues to interest me, is how can you use it to do things completely differently? How can it be a game changer? I think it was Dr. Magana that you had on your show not too long ago um, talked about yep. that transcendent technology. And that's really right. my goal is to be uh, operating at that level. So instead of creating a program that requires each student to sit at a device and that requires that isolates students from each other, our program happens through a single device. So if you can project our webpage, that's all the technology you need. Um, and so students and teachers are learning together how to do um, science, basically to have, how to have a scientific conversation and how to model good questioning. It's great we get comments and feedback from teachers saying, I, I think I learn as much as my students every time we turn you on um, because we, live stream into classroom two times a week and um, it is and we're available all pretty much all day on those two days. 
so that teachers don't have the roadblock of scheduling. They don't have the roadblock of, well, what if my kindergarten student rolls around on the rug or is picking their nose or doing any of the million things that kindergartners <laughs> do? You know, someone will see it. Like, well, first of all, look, I've seen it all. But second of all, I understand that, that if you are on a Skype call with somebody and you really want your students to be focused and somebody's having a meltdown, sometimes you just need to, like, get up and help that child work through whatever they're doing. And by having a one-way live stream into classrooms, it allows the teacher to do that. We've even had um, worked in uh, small group settings where an a a paraprofessional will be working with a group of students and with us. Um, and then we also are pushing out, um, we provide video content from, well, I should back up, tell you what we do. We have, um, we go on three field research missions per year. So my partner, Curtis, and I travel to um, locations. Uh, this past year, we went to Wyoming in search of um, fossils. Our hypothesis oh, was that um, Denonicus would have lived there years and years ago. Um, and then we went to the Galapagos Islands to investigate the hypothesis that there were undiscovered colonies of Galapagos penguins. And we've wow. just recently concluded our third mission, which was um, about relative abundance in the Tosha National Park in Namibia. So uh, the hypothesis was that there are 30 to 40 herbivores for every carnivore in a Tosha National Park. And wow. so we collect video um, and present that to students in bite-sized pieces um, five minutes at a time, embedded within the live stream, but you can also watch the video in at other times. It's available sure. always to teachers on the website. Um, and so then they're gathering the evidence and analyzing the evidence to determine whether the hypothesis is true or not. And this past year we gave them one that was, you know, you, you really had to analyze the pieces and think, well, they found this bone, they found that rib with tooth marks in it, and so they ultimately, most classrooms um, decided and shared with us through our publication um, feature that they thought there was Denonicus in that site. Um, and then the Galapagos mission was really tricky. We knew going in that it was highly, highly unlikely that our hypothesis was correct. Um, uh -huh. And we did not get evidence to support it. And it's been wow. wonderful to watch little kids who really, really, really want there to be penguins there have to step back, <laughs> look at the evidence and say, all right, even though I want this to be true, it's not. I have to look at the evidence and say that the hypothesis isn't true. And so that was, like, in a way, my favorite moment this year is that yeah, little, that's... you know, five- to eight-year-old going, oh, I want that to be real, but it's not. Um, yeah, and in it's, this it's sort latest of good, mission, it's all about data. The, yeah, it's sort of perfect with the idea of the fake news and how you have to have evidence Absolutely. to support facts. And, yeah, great timing. So uh, there's one Absolutely. thing you mentioned, and, and I'm kind of curious about. Um, what is the age range of go-to science? K through second grade. So we are really looking at four to eight-year-olds. Um, and and, and, and those, the, that young can start with, with the scientific process all the Absolutely. way down to the pre-K. So why Absolutely. is it important to teach of, them at that age? Oh, well, because it's really when, you know, it's the time in a child's life when they're really developing their language. Um, they're developing so many neural pathways at that age. And to give them the language of science when their language cortex, you know, when that is all um, forming is incredibly powerful. And it's, it's backed by research that, you know, lots of research that students who have an early exposure to science 
um, an early positive high quality exposure to science, it's a real game changer. Um, it sets the stage for uh, success in science down the road and really all areas, not just science. Um, as you said before, that one of our goals is to really make help students become evidence-based decision makers. And, you know, there's carryover to that in um, literacy. How, why do you think that? There's carryover, you know, in adulthood, why are you going to buy that car? Um, to become those evidence-based decision makers, it's, it's really critical. And there is the time to do it. And students are sponges. Little guys love science. And somewhere along the way, um, you know, despite our best efforts, we are shutting it off in schools for many, many students. Yeah. Um, and so um, one of the things that drew me to early childhood um, as a beginning teacher was that desire to keep that fire alive. I saw it in my little sister and I said, what happened to, she was, went to kindergarten the year I went to college. And I said, what happened to me? And, you know, why did I lose what she has? I don't want kids to lose that. And so with go to science, we keep that alive and we keep, um, you know, we fuel that and help them understand that process and, you know, know how to apply that process and apply it in new and novel settings. Um, and I think that's just really critical. And it's, it's such a natural time to do it because you're just building on that, that curiosity. Um, and our lessons, uh, you know, they're walking through the scientific process through the mission, but each one of the little five-minute um, field videos that we show also has um, an integrated lesson that goes along with it. And unlike a lot of um, programs out there, we are not lockstep, but we tell teachers time and time again, you know your students, you know what they need, skip our lessons, uh, change them, adapt them, you know, compress them, expand them, do what's right. right for your students. And so we show them in our planning documents, here's how you look at it through an ELA lens, here's how to look at it through a math lens, you want to look at it through a service learning lens, my favorite. Here are ways to do it. Here are places you can get connected. Um, maybe you want an arts focus. We have that in there as well. Um, and we also, to back up just for a second to technology, one of the things that we do, and we provide um, tips for teachers on this as well, is when we are in the field, we have a handheld 3D scanner. So we are able to scan things like, oh, a sea lion laying on a bench, or a, a, you know, an elephant femur, or um, humorous, huh. and provide those 3D files to classrooms. And many of the classrooms that use this have 3D printers. Um, and yeah. so then a student can take the thing they've seen on the screen and hold it in their hands. Wow. Um, what a, what a and cool really thing. make it real. Yeah. And it, and it gives teachers a point of entry for that 3D printing as well. But, you know, the right. hardest thing I have found about 3D printing is opening the box, you know, yeah. and printing and the first you... thing. And then, you know, what do you do with it? Yeah, why now? That's what Max. That's that's excellent. Yeah. What a cool idea. Yeah. And I have to I have to completely agree. I I think um, as a as a educational system in the United States, I think we have and I think we continue to really miss the boat on that pre K to two um, age group because I I think for some reason we we feel like there's only so much they can do and that should be it. But uh, time and time again, I, I see my kids here at the elementary center, um, just it's too easy for them maybe, or, or maybe we just mm -hmm. need to get them. And the, when you see that child who's curious and you want to run with it, you've got to have all those resources yeah. and all those options and possibilities available to them. 
And, uh, you know, right. I, I'm all for the idea of rigor, even though I don't really like the term rigor. I think it has some negative connotations. Right. But the concept right. of pushing them beyond their comfort level and letting them experience things, even if it fails, that's okay. That's a learning experience, too. But the, the idea of learning the scientific process and having that uh, imaginative, curious mind and getting that embedded in that pre-K to two age group to me is just fantastic. What a what a great idea you have, and and, and I, I certainly hope you uh, all the best. Now you said something about an advisory panel, and I I love advisory panels, so maybe I can help you out. I can get on this panel as well. But uh, tell tell our listening audience here about this advisory panel that you have going on. Well, the advisory panel is made up of you know, an amazing group of people. And they're sort of my first people that I, I call, you know, what do you think? How is this going to play for students? And, you know, unlike a lot of educational startups where it's, uh, you know, they've got a token teacher or two on their, it, you know, in their staff and the rest of them are, you know, great entrepreneurs and maybe they're, you know, great app designers, but they, what so many startups lack is outstanding teachers. Well, you know, I've got my experience, but I also have five amazing people joining me um, in that uh, and on the advisory panel. So there's one is from your state, Mike Softkill, um, who is uh, Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year this year. He's a top 10 Global Teaching Prize finalist um, and also a Presidential Award recipient. Um, and so he's on our advisory panel. I can call him up when I, you know, I'm like, what, you know, what do you think? Is this lesson got enough in it do you you know which way should we go uh we've got uh jed derryberry who does a ton of professional development um around the country um taught in the classroom for five years has i'm sorry 10 or 12 years um has a passion for arts integration also has a presidential award for excellence in math and science teaching he was a finalist like for a, quite a quite yeah. a crew with you there that's, yeah and you've got diane really and yeah, just so many great teachers there who are, most of them are presidential award winners um, or, and or state teacher of the year people so that we, you know, we've got this crew of outstanding people to bounce ideas right. off of. Right. I find that interesting because one thing that always frustrates me, I actually wrote about it on a, on a recent uh, HuffPost blog, is that, you know, educators, when we're creating something new for the schools, what we do is seems fairly logical. We gather other educators around and we, and we, and mm-hmm. we use that uh, experience and that intellect to help us create something better uh, for education. Meanwhile, all the policymakers in government, uh, at least here in Pennsylvania, when I last did a check out of all of the people who were making all the laws for uh, and changes to educational policies, there was only one, substitute gym teacher on the entire panel and nobody else had any educational background whatsoever. And uh, it always frustrates me and I never understand why, why that seems uh, like that should be so difficult to have educators in a room discussing educational policy and practice. But unfortunately uh, our government doesn't look at it that way. Uh, So it's got to be people in the trenches, right? Uh, So with, with, with your go-to science, you know, where do you see this going uh, in your future and in the future of go-to science? What, what do you hope to achieve with this uh, master plan here? Well, 
you know, my, my partner, Curtis, and I really, the master plan for, for both of us, and his background is a little um, different. He's got a science background um, and a legal background and it brings so much to the table. But we both really ultimately hope to raise a generation of evidence-based decision makers, really. And you alluded to that earlier, that it's so important um, to have, you know, you look at a you know, from a civics point of view, that you want an informed electorate. You want people who are looking at evidence. Why are you voting the way you're voting? Who are you going to vote for? You want citizens who can make reasonable decisions about, you know, parenting and purchases and higher education and use data and evidence to make those decisions. Um, so really, I feel like if we can make inroads there, we will have made huge strides and just to sort of cycle back on something you said earlier, too, about perseverance, uh, to give that to students as well. Um, I had a teacher write in after her class had done one of our, we had a lesson on neutral buoyancy. You know, and often in kindergarten or first grade, you have a think float activity. Well, we'd been scuba diving in the Galapagos and seeing animals that could just hover in the water. So we had a design challenge um, to create an object that had neutral buoyancy. And the teacher wrote in super excited because everybody failed and they kept trying and trying and trying until she had to send them to lunch. And she's like, they didn't keep uh, up and finally somebody sort of got it. So if we can get that kind of grit and determination um, in our students as well, that will be unbelievable. And so this is our first year of um, providing missions to classrooms. We hope to provide at least two more um, years of missions, and then we, we reserve the right at that point to start repeating. But um, the reason that those, I feel, those three years are really important is because another thing that we're doing is helping to build a, an academic um, climate within a school. And I cycle back to way at the beginning of my teaching career, things that were going really well. Um, when we had a school-based project or, a, you know, a multi-age project, it was so exciting because you get this buzz on the playground. You know, uh, everybody, instead of saying, oh, well, you do that unit in first grade, it's like, oh, my gosh, our school or our K pre-K2 unit, we're all investigating dinosaurs. And so they're talking dinosaurs on the playground. They're talking dinosaurs in the hall. They're talking, you know, whatever that topic is becomes a way for them to start having academic discourse outside of the formal education setting. And I, I think that's incredibly powerful too. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Th thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for coming on our show and uh, sending us all this great information. Why don't you give our audience uh, how to get in contact with you, how to get in contact with GoToScience. Give us some of your uh, social media links, things like that for us here. Absolutely. Well, you can find um, GoToScience at www.gotoscience, and that's the numeral two, G-O, numeral two, science.com. Um, we've got links to our social media there, but you can also um, just find us directly on Twitter at, at go, num numeral two, science, GoToScience. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Beth underscore Heidemann, H-E-I-D-E-M-A-N-N, but it's all linked in there together. So if you get to that GoToScience website, um, you can find all of those, all of those places. Um, and we are highly responsive to, <laughs> we really <laughs> love working with our teachers. So um, 
you know, if you send us a message, we are definitely going to talk to you. Um, uh, I think, well, it, you know, it's, it's personal. Instead of having my classroom full of students, it's now like, oh, my gosh, my class in California. Oh, my class, my class in California. <laughs> oh, my gosh, my class in, in, you know, Australia. I love, now I just have more students to love all around the world. That's right. What a, what a great way to do it. And thank you so much for sharing. Uh, that go-to science certainly sounds pretty exciting. Those of you that are interested, go to www.go2science.com. Again, thank you mm-hmm. so much, Beth, for joining us today. Oh, you're very welcome, Rob. Thanks for your time, and thanks for the great work you're doing sharing the, you know, the message that you're sharing. It's Yep, it's let's hope, let's hope we can both continue on, right? Yes. <laughs> Thanks again, Fantastic. Beth. Fantastic. Thank you. Bye-bye, Rob. Again, if you need to get a hold of Beth, it's at Beth underscore Heidemann, H-E-I-D-E-M-A-N-N. You can get a hold of me at, at Dr. Furman, at Dr. Furman on Twitter. Go to our educational website for the Council on the Future of Education is www edufuture, E-D-U-F-U-T-U-R-E dot U-S. This is Rob Furman on the Council on the Future of Education. The Council on the Future of Education. Fire, frustration, and discord are burning in every city.